Hello, Greyhound. This is Trap One. Do you read me? Over. Welcome to the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Denise. And I am John. On this episode, we'll be looking at Daleks Destroy, The Secret Invasion and Other Stories, an audio collection taken from the lurid pages of Terry Nation's Dalek Annuals. Uh, so Denise talked about a couple of these collections before, um, but John, did you read these annuals when you were a kid? Was this first I time? did, no, I did not, and I, I'm now slightly gutted that I didn't, because they, they look a bit super. I mean, I used to get the Doctor Who annual, but I don't think I was even aware of these as I was growing up. But they look smart. You posted some pictures, Mark. I did. Lovely interior, lovely interior artwork and stuff. Yeah, I think they're really nice. I, I must have got them from a car boot sale or something when I was a kid, and uh, and sort of poured over them. And uh, but yeah, the uh, I think some of the artwork is is probably even better than the Doctor Who annuals. The, you... the Doctor Who annual artwork sometimes seemed a little bit rushed and off. <laughs> Often by people who had never seen the program. <laughs> Sometimes quite frightening as well. Whereas yeah. um, that uh, picture that you posted, all the series of pictures from the first story, The Castaway, they were absolutely beautiful pastoral work, studies of a chap who, as you rightly said, Mark, looked a little bit like the War Doctor, younger version. So, um, yeah, they were a real treat for the eyes because. Yeah, frankly, some of the Doctor Who ones, obviously they were working from a photograph and had, by the end of the uh, mission, truly come to hate the subject matter. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those pictures are absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I've forgotten the name of the chap, not Del Shannon, because he sang Runaway. Mm. Something like Del Shannon. Yes, it was, yes. Yeah, it's I've just shannon throughout. Yeah, there's there's quite an easy way to generate Terry Nation character names. <laughs> the um yeah, they're of a type, aren't they? Mm. I found a few. I, I, I can't remember. If I, yes, I did tell you, didn't I? I've, I've become sort of minutely obsessed with uh, real people who have names that could be Terry Nation character names. I think I've got five. Probably at least one of them's. A- there's a whole Tarrant family, isn't there? There is. Chris Tarrant, I think. Chris, Chris Tarrant could conceivably be a Terry Nation character. Uh, Dev Patel, the actor. Mm. Grant, yes. Grant Shapps, politician. And uh, Del Trotter, the sitcom character. <laughs> I, 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 I think all of those would work in the anti-Dalek force. I think that's absolutely spot on. He does like, he does, he does like a Tarrant. Does Terry? Mm. Does I think the president of the universe or something is uh, is is a Tarrant? Yes. In uh, in this this Dalek timeline. Mm. Well, one of the stories is read by um, Stephen Pacey, who of course it was not, in the... <laughs> Well, not, not only one Tarrant, he was two Tarrants because he was Dell and Peter, played his own twin brother in one episode. Mm. Mark, right. you've still you've still not seen Blake Seven, have you? Not yet, no. But I am I am working on it. Um, I did wonder because I didn't know who he was, and when I looked him up on the Tardis wiki, I thought he's only done some big finish. Why have they picked him for this? So is that that's his Terry Nation pedigree? Is it is um, is Blake Seven? <laughs> well, he's yeah. only in, 
Tarrant was only in the, t- the last two series of Blake 7, wasn't he? Yeah. Each time, I think Terry Nation had moved on to different things. But yeah, yeah, it's de- definitely there in the blood. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, di- I didn't know who he was. I, I didn't know why uh, they, uh, they just hadn't brought some of the people from the previous ones back. Because um, surely everybody's available at the moment. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's uh, that makes sense if he's uh, if he's sort of uh, uh, well, he Tarrant, <laughs> the Tarrant in Blake Seven. So yeah, yeah. right, cool. So this is a, a say um, an audio annual um, a collection of writings from uh, from the Dalek annuals and various Terranation things, um, read by uh, as we said Stephen Pacey, Terry Malloy, uh, and Nick Briggs. And, and John Coleshaw. And John Coleshaw. John Coleshaw. Yeah. Yes. John Coleshaw for the one where he had to do impressions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they're, they're, they're very interesting things. I, I, I quite like the consistency. As a, one, of, one of the characters, now who is it? It's, um, it's the ADF guy who's not Mark Seven. Oh, what's he called? Joel. Joel. Sorry? Joel Shaw. Joel Shaw, thank you. It's in all the stories, you'd think I'd remember that. No, um, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but he has, um, he has a Yorkshire accent. When Terry Malloy is reading him, he has a, a Yorkshire accent. And then, rather delightfully, when Stephen Pacey or someone else are doing it, they also give him a Yorkshire accent. So there's obviously a, like a degree of collusion there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's an, like an in-universe thing. I mean, has, um, has Joel been established to be a northern character somewhere in the canon? Hmm. Well, lots of, con- lots of planets have a north. Yes. <laughs> I don't think he has, and, and I found it a bit jarring because um, this is the third volume, and I'm more used to the way Nick Briggs uh, voices him with a much more sort of clipped military uh, true. intonation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is odd that both of them uh, use a Yorkshire accent for him in here. Yeah. Ah. Yes, I, I'd forgotten about that. Um, so the, the collection uh, begins with Dalek terminology. This is read by Nick Briggs, um, a selection of some Dalek nomenclature. Uh, and this is in case you're an ADF agent who wants to pretend to be selling out humanity. Um, to show how keen you are by having learnt some some Dalek words. Anything that particularly leapt out at you here that was... uh... They're all quite specific, aren't they? There's um, the Dalek word for wealth. Yeah. I mean, do they have money? They don't have pockets. Or maybe they do have pockets. I don't know. That that was odd. And some of them seem to... It's like, is it Rendiculum or something, which is a meeting of four or more Daleks? Yeah, Brindiculum. Thank you. Well, that's that's quite specific. I mean, what happens if there's three Daleks there? They just don't, don't have a word for that one. <laughs> that's a day of done. <laughs> and there's a, is there a, there's like a, a word for a, a shower of rain that goes on for seven months or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, A, months, right? I, I, do Daleks have months? Probably. But what happens if, you, you know, six six months and three weeks and five days into it and it stops I have a a word for it well for me I was pleased to see that Daleks have cellulite and (laughs) 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 uh, is that to to make it sort of to 
make something very tiny or something. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Cellulite, but you know, I I just heard cellulite and I went from there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a girl thing. Yeah. What were your favourite ones, Mark? I, I I mean, I love the fact that as uh, in amongst all these words that um, that are actually quite practical and that describe sort of creatures from Scarrow, that there are some for weather in there as well. So that <laughs> if you if you are having a clandestine meeting with a brindingulum of Daleks to say <laughs> I want to secretly work for you, you can you can you can break the ice with some small talk first. There's uh, mm. there's one that talks about sort of um, a misty sort of rain, like the fine drizzle that gets you really wet. Then there's the downpour <laughs> that lasts for seven months and things. This very English or, or British approach to science fiction. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember. I remember there's um, a film called Slipstream, which came out in the, oh, I guess mid-80s. It's got Mark Hamill is in it and Bob Peck, bizarrely enough. Uh, and I read a review of it that said, this is an archetypal British science fiction film in that it is entirely about the weather. And it <laughs> <is>. <laughs> uh, And of course, we yeah. learned that any word that begins with J is to be avoided because it is taken as a, as a grave insult. I'm a little offended by that. And so should <laughs> be. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah. D's are all right, because uh, Dalek, but um, yeah. what's the deal with the J? Mm. Who did they take up? Joel, Joel, what's his name, whose name I can Well, yeah. for a, <laughs> a kick-off, yeah? Yeah, I think it's likely to be him. Or Joe Grant, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm slightly disappointed that uh, RELS was used, but not as a... I thought RELS was a unit of elapsed time. It says it's a measure, a measure of hydroelectricity. Yeah. This. I think in the TV series it always means a measure of time, doesn't it? But the, yeah, uh, 1.39 seconds or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's a lovely Jody, yeah. Jody Whittaker moment in uh, not... Was it Revolution? No, what was... Resolution. Res, resolution, yeah. Oh, I must find out how long a rel is. Yeah. <laughs> and I went and Wikipedia'd it, didn't I? Cause I, I, I yeah. did, did it not say it's a measure of hydro? I mean, what, how, what does that even mean, a measure well, of hydroelectricity? Hydroelectricity, and it's a kilowatt hour, so it's kind of yeah. really... I'm stretching here, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I can make sense out of anything, me. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I didn't realise as well, because, you know, approaching these things uh, in an audio format, and you're going through this list of words that are basically quite ridiculous and entirely random, and then you get to the end and there was a test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know there was going to be a test, and I couldn't remember any of them. And then, I can't remember, there's five questions or something, uh, and, it, and it says, yeah, and if you get over 97%, then you'll you'll be fine. It's like well, that's a hundred. If you go, you can't have basically ninety seven percent of five. You know, you get eighty or a hundred. Surely, I don't know. It's all, it's almost as though it wasn't very well planned out, just written at speed. Yeah. Hmm. Fun, there were quite a few lists in this um, collection, weren't there? They're it's my a, favourite bits. I think they're they're running slightly short of stories, so they they're putting more of the listy things in. Yeah. Yeah. Do you fancy but, um, a, a go at the quiz to see uh, to see if you can remember the most? Uh, you, you got it there. Yeah. 
I I have the uh, the, oh, the annual in front of me for for reference. Yeah. I like. Sorry, just before we get into this, because obviously it's going to get serious and competitive now. <laughs> but the, having having slurred the letter J uh, and said, you know, it causes great offence. They then say, oh, but words that begin with the letter Q are especially good. And then there's a word for farewell, which is ridiculously long, starts with a Q, and I've never ever heard a Dalek use it. <laughs> they say goodbye. They say exterminate. Yeah. That's a yeah. There's a a level of sort of uh, courtesy uh, here suggested with this this uh, lexicon that that is usually absent, isn't it, from interactions with them? Yes. Yeah. They they say farewell as they toddle off down the shops with their <laughs> material wealth. I <laughs> <laughs> say. So who can remember what cavey means? I'll give you a clue. It's a verb, and we've never seen a Dalek do it. Mm. Disco dance. Oh, no, we've seen, seen disco dance all the time. What am I talking about? <laughs> uh, can't remember, Mark. Sorry. It's a verb to drink. Ah, oh, there was a clue I was on, the, on I was, your video feed. I was giving you a clue. Yes. <laughs> listen, listen, listeners at home, Mark just took a massive swig of water while he was asking that. Water. Yeah. I'm on the licorice tea tonight, folks. Oh, oh nice. Which letter is considered an insult? That be J for John. Shut up. Stop going on about Correct. it. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Dalek word for wealth? Oh, oh no. I'm after, uh, oh, I think I wrote that one down. Here, hang on, let's cheat. Um, no, of course I didn't, because that would have been handy, wouldn't it? Oh, it wait, is it, is, it, is it Elfron or something? It is. Yeah. Okay, that's a point each. Where, I cheated, though. <laughs> where do the Hiptons live? <gasps> Just above the Legtrons. Is <laughs> <laughs> the bonus point for that? <laughs> They uh, they live on the little somewhere. They they yes, live but... live on the planet Mesmerus. That's uh, strange because they're called Hiptons, and the <laughs> usual Terry Nation thing would be to have them from the planet Hipto, possibly in the the galaxy of Hipto as well. <laughs> Finally, how long does the decorain last? Was that seven, for seven months? Seven months. Seven months. Seven months. It's a tie. Oh, it's good. You would have Fair. thought you'd have thought Decca would mean ten, wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you would. Mm. So suitably primed with uh, with this wealth of uh, of Dalek terminology, uh, the first story in the collection we get to is the Castaway from the nineteen seventy eight annual. Read by Nick Briggs. Yes, well, this is... When I was listening to it, I got this impression of, like, a, a young lad really being quite engrossed in this story because, I mean, it is a space Robinson Crusoe, um, except he doesn't have a man Friday. He's completely on his own. He managed to crash land his spaceship on a seemingly uninhabited planet 
after a running with the Daleks. And um, three years on, he has built himself a nice tree house. He's figured out what lakes have got acid in and how best to avoid those big spurty holes in the ground. But he's quite happy in himself. He, it sounds a bit like Viva Loca, the Kinderworld, in that there's um, fruits that fruit in season all the year round and uh, enough to eat and he can go and kill some animals and eat those as well and he seems to be living the uh, ADF version of the good life so um, yeah but then one day he hears a spaceship he thinks great people decent food let's go check it out and uh, he turns up and it's a Dalek ship containing three Daleks wouldn't you just know? Wouldn't you just know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if just like the nice humans who've come to take him home, that wouldn't have been much of a story, would it? But, uh, yes, so um, he has a think about what best to do. And um, first Dalek, there's a handily timed lava spurt from one of the small volcanoes on the island that manages to destroy Dalek number one. Dalek number two... He tricks into trundling into one of the acid lakes. Dalek number three, who stays by the spaceship, which is a standing Dalek order, I learned, yeah. is uh, a bit of a more of a challenge, really, because uh, he's got his space gun, but he's only got one space bullet left in his space gun. So um, <laughs> he sneaks up and he's just about to aim his space gun gun at the vulnerable point on the Dalek. Although I, 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 I like the way that the vulnerable point was described as being uh, the size of a small coin, which doesn't really <laughs> help. <laughs> the, size, the size of a big molecule or a small coin or a really, really small elephant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so... Um, but then, oh, damn, I'm not a very good shot. I didn't do very well in all my space exams when I was shooting my space gun. And uh, so he's a bit worried that he's going to mess it up and he's going to die. And um, But then luckily a space wasp lands on his hand and stinks his trigger finger so that he fires at just the right moment, hits the Dalek perfectly, and, uh, well, he's now got the Dalek ship and three dead Daleks, what would you do in this situation, guys? What would you do? I would. I would. Well, what? I wouldn't do what he does, put it that way. <laughs> no. I, I would decide whether I wanted to stay on the planet or whether I wanted to go back and see my mates. And then if I wanted to stay on the planet, I wouldn't blow the spaceship up in case I ever changed my mind in the future. That's what I would do. Yes, <laughs> that's also, what I would. Also, I would remember to take the black sails down and put white sails up. I thought, it, it, yeah, I thought the ending was going to be he was going to fly back in the Dalek ship and get shot to bits because it's a Dalek ship. That would yeah. have been. I mean, the actual ending was grim enough when you say, "Well, clearly he thinks that one through." But uh, yeah. yes, these ADF guys so impulsive. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I'd have kept the shit like you say in case you change your mind, in case you ever needed uh, more sturdy shelter, or yeah. needed or to defend the planet again. Yeah. Yeah, or it's just got a high resale value. You could sell it on space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you might want to explore the rest of the planet. There, uh, there could be anything out there. This, this story, that's a beautiful, beautiful encapsulation, Denise. Uh, this story is like the most sensible one in the collection, and it's still not, still not, still not very sensible. And there is that, it's that sort of Terry Nation theme of, you know, it's just like things happen just one after the other without sort of much of a sort of causal relationship or anything. It's, it's odd. It's all very odd. It's like a dream. These these stories, uh, yeah, interesting. And though I think you undersold the little squirty holes in the the ground, don't they send molten lava up a mile in the air? Well, apparently yes, but I mean, what good is that to anyone? Yeah. yeah. I presume it comes down as rock. <laughs> mm. Well, they say that they uh, they erupt without warning. But then we learn that there is a warning because there's wisps of smoke which uh, which alert the uh, the wary pedestrian to uh, mm. to an imminent eruption, which is how he manages to manoeuvre the Dalek on top of it. Yeah, it's a good point. But you can't reasonably expect Terry Nation to remember something from three paragraphs earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think he actually wrote these then? Allegedly. Well, I, I think the, the idea is that they are cannibalised from the pitches for the Dalek TV series that he wanted to make um, in America, which I, I imagine is why they all come down to um, one or two ADF agents fighting a handful of Daleks. Um, and uh, as we'll see later on through this collection... There are lots of times when they discover a huge Dalek plot that is going to wipe out humanity at the end of a story, which is then never, ever paid off. Um, <laughs> as though they thought, well, this is, this is something we're not going to have the budget or the cast <laughs> to be able to do, so we'll just do all the setups and the, uh, the, sort of the, 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 the cliffhangers that, uh, that these things might come to pass. Mm. I, I think Terry Nation did write these. Um, and I think there's again there are, there are consistencies across the stories. Um, he keeps using the word uh, the verb reefed, which I didn't really know about, um, meaning sort of twisty turny thing mm. to describe smoke or whatever. He always talks about the Daleks having grating voices, and he always talks about the Daleks gliding, gliding, grating, and reefed. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. There we go. Doctorial flourishes. So would you, I mean, could you be said to have enjoyed reading that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I know that it's not really for me, and it's, you know, it's from the perspective of a historical interest in something that was written for children 40 years ago. I'm a woman in my early 50s, and I'm looking at it without even nostalgia, because like you, John, I never had these. So, um, yeah, it was enjoyable for what it is. It's um, a story that stood up well on the basis that, yes, we all know that much of humanity make very bad decisions a great deal of the time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it worked for me. Yeah. yeah. They're good. There, there is something sort of magical about them. Um I can't quite put my finger on it, but it is that just sort of that sort of slight incoherence that they have. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's good fun, good fun. Does like it, the 80s music. 
video as well. They tried to make a plot to the music video that fits with the song, and there's always <laughs> yeah. hope that it never really stands up to any kind of critical analysis. But uh, yeah, very much so. Does mm. it sort of like boys' own? Uh, kind of hardy adventure type thing to it, isn't there? That uh, it's always, yeah. like I say, it's always one or two people pitting their wits. Uh, you know, it's never like a whole platoon of ADF agents just coming in armed to the teeth. It always relies on, on um, you know, kind of just uh, using their wits and their, their cunning, doesn't it, to defeat them? I think these must have been quite dated even in the late 70s. I mean, they, they do have a sort of slight 1950s ring to them, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the later story, The Secret Invasion, you just know that the small boys are all wearing shorts and blazers. Are we covering that one? Who's, who's doing The Secret Invasion, is it? I'm doing The Secret Invasion. Oh, um, that was one of my favourite ones. Know, join in. It's, it's a long story, but it's lots of it fun. Is. My favourite bit, just in case you don't mention it, but you're about to, my favourite bit is when these four children who've just had a lovely wimpy burger go and try and see the exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> they can't, can't get in, so they go and see Robin Hood instead. And you go, well, this is, this is very specifically cited in 73 or 74 when both of those films would have been out. But what a funny thing to put in. <laughs> Well, it just goes to show that these kids are a little bit badass, and that serves mm. them well. They're just incredibly stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> that that is odd. That one, it, it's it's you never get cultural references in these things at all, do you? And that one is is, is really littered with them. It's. Uh... Mm. Well, I, I, I already feel like I've trampled over Denise's stuff there. So when, when we get to that one, I, I, I'll. I'll, I'll yeah. Point, point out the one or two things that are weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before that, we have the uh, Daliography of Scaro uh, from the 1979 album, and Terry Malloy reads this. So it's basically a description of the landscape of Scaro. Because um, it's always been quite amusing, hasn't it, that one of the continents is called Darren. <laughs> but we, learn, we learn from Terry Malloy that it's actually pronounced the much more alien... Darren. Ah. Uh, this, this will happen sometimes. I read, um, oh, when I was a much younger man, uh, a series of fantasy books called The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, Stephen Donaldson. Um, they're, quite, they're quite bleak. It's about, you know, sort of portal fantasy. So a guy from our world goes into this fantasy land. But he's, uh, he's got Lepsy Hansen's disease, so half his hand is missing, and he's mistaken as a, like a hero in this, uh, this fantasy land. But the thing about this fantasy land, all the characters have amazing names, like a giant called Salt Heart Foam Follower or something, you know, and they, they all have spectacular names, beautiful high fantasy. And then there are two lords, one of whom is called Trevor, and the other of whom is called, is it Kevin? I can't remember. It's like it's like just the most unfantasy names you can imagine. So yeah, you know, even the best of us can fall into these traps. <laughs> uh, but the, the rest of the place sounds quite exciting. There's the island of gushing gold, uh, the serpent sea, the sonic desert. Sounds cool. It's protected by a blanket of sound that nobody knows where it comes from. And if the animals uh, leave it, then they die in agony from the lack of the sound. Um, which I thought was quite a cool idea. Yeah, that was an 
And I love the way um, Terry Malloy almost assumes a David Attenborough tone to talk yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the, the bottomless ocean, that was one of it, wasn't it? Yes. The bottomless ocean is so cold because we don't know how deep it is. It's like, oh, it's probably got a bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah the, um, the, the, the island of gushing gold or something, is that where people had gone to get the gold and then all the gold had gushed all over them and turned them into statues? Yeah. And then your sonic desert is made up of rubies and diamonds and stuff, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Now, the thing about that sort of stuff is they're just minerals. You know, it's like gold and rubies and diamonds are valuable because there aren't many of them. Not much of them. I mean, if you've got gold squirting out the ground and you've got a whole desert of rubies and diamonds, then suddenly they're not really going to be worth much, are they? Well, that's why they aren't very blinged up. They just can't be bothered with it. <laughs> and, yet, and yet they have a word for material wealth. Mm. Well, perhaps Trump came for, for a holiday one year. Oh, Lord. Yeah. He would eat. He'd, he'd have liked a bit of gushing gold. Yeah. Yeah. I he'd... went into Trump. Trump Tower once uh, when I was in New York. I didn't know if you were allowed to go in, so I just went in. Uh, and it was awful. It was just like the just tackiest, horriblest place. Just just even in the lobby, it was nasty. No class, that man. As if the Daleks have got the gold emperor, haven't they? Um, so uh, that it would be, uh, be at home in Trump Tower. <laughs> With the gold toilet and everything else. Uh, so we also, speaking of uh, Donald Trump, we have um, an article about uh, Dalek propaganda. It's the, the Dalek equivalent of Fox News that... that... Oh, like Lord Ho or something, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we... we uh... Talk, would, would you believe, is it? Yes. Uh, so they put all this stuff out about how the Daleks made the English Channel and separated Britain from Europe. And yeah. uh, the... Uh, They've got the largest uh, spacecraft in uh, the universe by a lot. Early Brexiting <laughs> by the, the Daleks there. Yeah. Separating Britain from Europe. Yeah, all the, um, I like the, you know, the, the notion that this propaganda gets beamed out all over the universe. And all of it is stuff like, ah, we've got massive spaceships. You can get St. Paul's Cathedral in one. And you can only imagine people going, what's a St. Paul's Cathedral? <laughs> like, unless you actually live very specifically in England, most of these Dalek references would be lost. <laughs> That's very true. <clears throat> but I like the way the um, they sort of put it almost in the style of Peter Jones in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> in the little snippet that they were reading. Yeah. They gave it that yeah. thought. Yeah, and then and it ends with the uh, the thing that if a, if a Dalek tries to capture you, just go along with it. It'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> Terrible advice. <laughs> also, advice that none of the other characters in any of the stories take. No. Good for them. Good for them. Uh, which takes us to to the second story in the collection, the solution. The solution. Right. Now, I, I'm in charge of this one, aren't I? Yes. You are. Okay, right. <laughs> I, didn't really, I, didn't really, I didn't really understand what was going on for most of this one. This is the... Um, so you, you, you're, you're anti-Dalek force lads. They're on, like, a rescue mission, aren't they? They've had uh, SOS call from... 
pro, 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 what's it called? Proby. Corby. Corby. That's it. Pro, Proby. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they're, they're flying to this planet. There's a massive war going on, uh, which once they investigate it, turns out to be loads and loads of Daleks fighting this one guy, Corby, because everyone else seems to have died. Uh, so they go to where Corby is living. He's got force field to stop all the Dalek weaponry from getting through. Uh, he's, he's Scottish. Mm. Now, I, want, I wonder if this is why you gave me this one, Mark. Because <laughs> the, the planet is called Scottus. Yeah. Scottus. Scottus. And has... I mean, this was a story from 78 or 79, wasn't it? When there had been uh, devolution... Uh, referendum. Um, so yeah, Scottus has declared independence from the rest of the universe somehow. It's a brave experiment apparently. So you've got this one wee Scottish guy who's the only one who's left on his planet, Scottus, which is independent now, but is being attacked by Daleks. Oh no, what they're going to do doesn't matter because it turns out he's got a great big eight-foot robot in a cupboard called... <laughs> Ego, spelt I-G-O. Now, I wouldn't have known it was spelt I-G-O if you hadn't pointed that out, Mark. Again, this how have they decided that's pronounced ego? I don't know, because cause the thing is as well, uh, Terry Malloy pronounces the planet Scotus like, like the Supreme Court in America. Oh, yeah. But it's spelt with two Ts, so I would have pronounced it Scotus, which would maybe have made the subtext uh, even more obvious. Work out what the subtext actually was. I mean, I have to assume that Terry Nation was broadly against Scottish independence because it doesn't really work out very well, does it? But anyway, we've got this eight-foot robot called Ego, uh, which is apparently like the the solution. He's the ultimate weapon. He'll just keep fighting and fighting, which does make you wonder why he was in a cupboard. I mean, that, was that clear to either of you in the story why he hadn't been deployed? some sort of killer bacteria or something that ego oh, built right. all over the floor or something and I just yeah. thought what now? Yeah, he, uh, found, he, found, he found the place where all the dangerous weapons were, didn't he? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, no, it, it, again, it just felt very strange. I couldn't quite imagine this setup where there was a planet that used to have loads of people on. Now apparently there's just one. this one guy, Corby, left. Presumably there's lots of <laughs> it just occurs to me now, maybe he invented ego as a sort of elaborate trouser press. Maybe not. <laughs> um, 
No, I've, oh, and I've lost, I've lost track of what I was talking about. Like, yeah, no, so there's just this one guy left. So what happened to all the others? Are they just sort of out rotting in the streets? And I didn't quite understand the nature of the building he was in either, because the, 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 there's one point where they take a lift down for ages and ages and ages, and then there's an, another bit where they're looking for a spaceship, and he said, oh, yeah, there's a spaceship three floors up. <laughs> should, should be fairly easy to find. It's like, none of this, none of this is sensible. What are you talking about? It, it, it doesn't read like it's been edited very carefully. It sounds like it was another one of Terry Nation's dreams after he'd had mm. a lot of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the first time I, I, I came away from it with the same sort of questions about why they'd waited until there was only one person left before they activated the robot that his sole purpose is to defend the planet from invaders. But I think, on a second listen, and, and I haven't read the story in the annual as well, I think it is a cautionary tale about Scottish independence. Um, so, yeah, what I picked up the second time is that he, the only reason he hasn't switched the robot on is because the people that invented it um, weren't alive to tell him what it actually did. That's right. He, he, he seemed to have a fair, fairly clear idea of what he did. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, as soon as they set it off, it, some Daleks come in, it kills the Daleks, oh, yeah. and then, yeah, it opens the cupboard with, like you say, with all the uh, biological chemical weapons in it. And no, you goes, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go, no! With <laughs> 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 the Daleks basically shoot Ego in the bottom and he yeah. <laughs> put his, his finger down and I go, oh, ow. <laughs> a, little, a little burn mark. And poor good, Corby. Good, good, good corroborative detail from Terry Nation. <laughs> poor Corby ends up face down in like some awful chemical weapon, his face melting as, <laughs> as they fly away from the planet uh, with Joel Shaw ruefully wondering if, if that's the answer, is just to destroy every planet with the Daleks on it. Um, which is a bit of foreshadowing for the Time War, isn't it? Is, is the only way to, uh, to kill the Daleks, just to kill everybody, I thought. Yeah, so it, it, Ego is not... Well, he's sort of described quite well, but um, you found a couple of pictures of him, Mark, again, which you shared with us on, uh, on the messages. Looked interesting. Then he's like quite cool. Yeah. yeah. Like a big robot. He's like that Transformer that doesn't have a face, that just has one light bulb. Um, I can't remember the Transformers well enough to uh, to name him. But uh, even as a kid, I always thought, why have the rest of them got faces and features <laughs> that can uh, that can give expressions? And this other guy's got a light bulb that just lights up when he talks like the Dalek, uh, the Dalek bulb. Aww. He reminded me a bit of that. But I, I thought Corby had a he had a bit of a Time Lord vibe going on, didn't he, with his skull cap and his big collar? Yeah, the, uh, certainly not not there in the text, but definitely there in the pictures. Mm. And this would have been yeah, this would have been after Deadly Assassin. I know. Yeah. Cosplayer. Yeah, definitely. Cause he's got kill. No, does the, yeah. the ADF even know about Time Lords though? They don't not seem really. to. It's not, really not crossover, has it? No. No. I think it may be about to in Big Finish's um, Dalek Universe uh, oh, series, no. which is uh, which is been recently announced. 
I think I think uh, I could be wrong, but I think Mark Seven might be in that. Oh, it's exciting! It's nice that you've got a vested interest there, Mark. It is, yeah. There's uh, there's yeah. very few marks in Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Very few. Uh, cause mm. cause... So I. I don't really feel like giving the solution uh, much of a fair hearing there. Uh, like I say, I listened to it twice. On each occasion, I was a bit confused and probably should have written some more things down. That's what the writer said as well, though, to be fair. <laughs> it's very strong. It will this do vibe to it, isn't there? <laughs> keep, keep going until you hit the word count and then that's that. I was good on Joel Shaw, though, because he's the supreme commander of the whole ADF, but he'll just go out on a mission on his own or with one other person all the time. <laughs> <laughs> with his whippet and his yeah. black cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he doesn't sound unlike John Coulshaw um, when, um, when Terry Malloy's... I don't know if John Coulshaw... Uh, he's maybe from Lancashire, actually, I think, maybe. Ah. But uh, in, in the ballpark. <laughs> Yeah, that's very niche, isn't it? Doing impressions of impressionists yeah. <laughs> when not doing an impression. <laughs> the Mike the Mike Yarwood reference from um, the Secret Invasion. Yeah, we haven't come to yet. Yeah, yeah that's funny because uh, they just mentioned him on Staged, which I'd watched um, like a few days before this, and I thought you never hear <laughs> much reference to Mike Yarwood, and I've uh, heard no. two in a week. I mean, are, are you familiar, are you familiar with his oeuvre, uh, Mark? Because he really wasn't very good. You know, and it, it, it was just the case that there were only three TV channels in those days, so it was enough to have a man come out and go, right, now I'm Harold Wilson. <laughs> and and you go, all right, well, he must be Harold Wilson, because that's what he said he is. Um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't really very good. And did he not always end his programme by saying, this is me, and then do a little song just as Mike Yarwood? Right, sorry, this is uh, one for the oldies there. You talk about your Transformers, Mark, and I'll talk about my... <laughs> uh, so what do we have next? We have a um, special report, Recent Findings from the Moon, uh, which is also from the 1979 album. I think everything here that's from the albums, anyway, is from 1978 or 1979. So it's, it's late-era uh, Terry Nation Dalek stuff. Um, mm -hmm. This one's read by Nick Briggs, and it's of the genre of Dalek stories, um, which is, is probably is about half of them, um, where Joel Shaw and the ADF discover a huge, unstoppable Dalek plot um, that could just wipe out humanity and they'd have no defence against it. But, like I say, he's just never paid off or revisited uh, ever again. Um, so, yeah, in this one, um, the Daleks have an insurmountable advantage they, they found this this weapon that's uh well it's, it's kind of space station or something isn't it that uh they can just beam around a bit like the death star i think they can just just wipe out planets his arm to the teeth um and then they find it but then it disappears and everybody that found it's been killed and only mark seven knows about it so uh he's just warning everyone that it just could pop up at any time and kill everyone but it was nice <laughs> that the time space visualizer got a mention yay yes that was good uh, for me, that makes it canon that that is what Davros is watching in The Magician's Apprentice. 
uh, when he's watching Genesis of the Daleks, that the Daleks have time-space oh. visualizers as well. Wow, that's incredibly well thought out, Mark. Because <laughs> you do wonder how, um, how he's got a copy of Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> he got it from the Kublan man. Yeah. Uh. Uh, so yeah, I think, as I was saying before, I, I, I wonder if this speaks to the origins of the stories being from the mooted Dalek TV series that none of them have a very big cast. There's only a handful of Daleks in each one um, and it's, it, it's more about the threat of a bigger plot than ever actually seeing a pitched battle between the ADF and, uh, and a load of Daleks or anything. Yeah. They're not really stories, are they? They're, sort of, they're setups. Yeah. Quite right. Yeah, but even some of the stories are like that because I think the, the Seeds of Destruction um, is like that. It's a story, but it also ends with this could be the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> not the Seeds of Death, not the Seeds of Doom, the Seeds of Destruction. Uh, and then the other one of these sort of little articles, sort of listy things we've got is uh, it's called Dalek War Machines from the Dalek Pocketbook and Space Traveller's Guide. Uh, so we learn about some of the weapons and gadgets that the Daleks have devised here. Um, and I'd made note this one, and funny enough, um, Steve Alexander, who, um, and if you've seen him on, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, he does the brilliant um, photography with the Doctor Who figures. Um, oh, and, yeah. and, and sort of sets up the scenarios in the background. Um, if you don't follow him, you should. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. And he t- tweeted a page of that book uh, that described the uh, this this weapon um, that is the power of a thousand suns condensed into one tor- normal torch size weapon. The effect of which can cause temporary blindness. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a big spotlight shone on your yeah. face. Imagine, imagine that. A thousand suns the size of a small coin. Yeah. <laughs> Quite hot when you turn it on as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I bet it gets through the batteries. <laughs> we then have the, uh, the, the sort of title story, uh, The Secret Invasion, which comes from Terry Nation's Dalek Special, which um, is a book I've... I've never read or anything. Uh, and this is the only one read by John Coulshaw. For reasons that will later become apparent, you know. So, um, yes. I'm not sure if I've got this book. I have got a Dalek something or other. It's in a box in my cellar. I'll have to have a look at it. But, uh, yes, maybe it's in there. But, um, yes, as John said, these four young cousins, three, three lads and a girl called Emily only female character to appear in this entire story apart from uh, someone who appears post-mortem in uh, in the special report um yeah so they've let these four children i don't know how old they're supposed to be sort of 12 14 ish maybe um i don't know if it's robin hood though yeah what would that have been the disney robin hood i'd be like imagine so yeah. that came out in 1973 yeah yeah Yes, I mean, um, so if I had children that age, I wouldn't let them loose in London on their own. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just me. But, um, yeah, so as John says, they were a bit, after stuffing their face with burgers, they went to try and see the exorcist but couldn't get in, which is probably correct. And uh, it's not even a very good film, is it, folks? But... um, 
I, li- I like The Exorcist very much. I watched it once when I was doing the ironing, and I thought the problem with the... <laughs> That's sub-optional. Sub- <laughs> <laughs> I thought William Friedkin wants you to see it. Like, did, no. you take your, did you take your ironing to the cinema? <laughs> How old do you think I am? No, it was, on, it was on the telly, so I thought, well, I'll get the ironing done and I'll give it a watch because I've never seen it. And I thought, well, I've got a bit of a problem because I don't have an ounce of religion in my soul. So all the things that were supposed to be scary and terrifying were just a girl who was a bit unwell as far as I can make out. But, uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, they were much better off with uh, some animals doing the Robin Hood thing. But, uh, yes. Sorry. I thought I embarked confidently on a song that I thought I remembered from Robin Hood and then I got five syllables into it and thought, I have no fucking idea how to sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for singing to us, John. <laughs> the, yes, so, um, so they have a nice time, but then they have to head back and... Um, I think they're going back to Victoria Station because they're... It's been so long since I lived in the UK now, I can't remember. Trains from Kent, do they go into Victoria or are they more sort of London bridgey? I don't know. But anyway, um, they're heading back. They're at Green Park, Tube Station, when you get the order to evacuate. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? And um, But this time, there is actually an explosion and they're trapped on the platform. They didn't get out in time. And they managed to break through, and they're just... They run into four Daleks. And um, fortunately, they don't get exterminated because the Daleks have a need for them. So there's a bit of running around, and there's a very useful torch because it's very dark after the explosion, but the young lad, I think he's a David, who whose birthday they were celebrating, got a torch or a flashlight, as they yeah, insisted on calling it first of all, which I thought was weird. odd. Yeah. I mean, they call it flashlight, and then later on they call it torch. So did they have the Dalek annuals in America at this time? Mm. Possibly. Um, and so they see their way around. Um it actually has some really nice moments, this story. I mean, um, the children are quite brave and plucky. They know what Daleks are, and again... Yeah, that was the weirdest thing. This is the whole world of the Dalek annual universe where everybody knows what Daleks are. Well, Uh, there are other stories where I think the the people, contemporary people, don't know what Daleks are. There's the one where the kids steal their uncle's time machine, I think. Oh, yes. And um, I don't think they knew what Daleks were before they um, basically retraced uh, all the historic locations of the chase um, in that story. Um, but yeah, I thought it was very odd. And if they, if they knew what Daleks were, but then they won't tell the police that the Daleks are there because they think the police won't believe them. But if Daleks are real and they recognise them, why would, they, uh, why would the police not believe them? It was very odd. It's one of those things where uh, you, you feel that there's um, the writer hasn't quite been able to distinguish between their fictional world and the real world. So that, you know, because everybody knows what Daleks are. So they just say, yeah, everyone knows. It's like in, bear with me here, Diamonds Are Forever, where Peter Franks gets killed and Sean Connery pretends it's James Bond and 
what's her name? The woman one in it goes, oh, no, you killed James Bond, the secret agent. And it's like, yeah, right. Now, <laughs> everyone in the world does know who James Bond is, but nobody in the fictional world should know who he is. So it's, it's, it's always annoyed me that. Yeah, it's Tiffany Case, isn't it, in that one? Tiffany and, Case. Uh, Tiffany. Yeah, and then, um, so then Connery says, oh, is that who it was? Is it all like... As if it's just a name that is in such common usage, and uh, and he's so famous. Yeah, I had um, yeah, I, I had the I think it was a corgi toy of the Lotus Esprit that turned into a submarine, um, which is quite good. But it had a big 007 <laughs> logo on the bonnet. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't do that. That's <laughs> like a, that's a tell, isn't it? Is it which is it Moonraker though, where he does have the double seven double oh seven logo on his little camera? Oh, he does, doesn't he? I think yeah. so. If you think if he's going to get searched or uh, somebody kills him and looks through his belongings, yeah. Um, oh, and then there's a bit in um, Octopussy where somebody in the background plays the James Bond theme tune as actual diegetic music. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not how that works. And, and, <laughs> stop, get, stop getting Bond wrong. <laughs> That's how he makes himself known to Bond as well, isn't it? <laughs> well, he recognise this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his theme tune. <laughs> well, everybody it's, has a theme tune. It's, it's what you get on your first day as a spy. They give you your gun and your theme tune and your car with this secret number on the bonnet. <laughs> sorry, Denise, we went off topic there a little bit. We did a little bit, and um, I can't say I'm sorry, because uh, this story, it turns into a bit of a mess in the middle, to be honest with you, but uh, yes. So, two of the kiddies, the Daleks, dump them in the middle of Green Park, and they just sort of wake up and think, oh, what's, what's going on? And uh, But the other two, they keep hostage, two of the lads, and um, so the ones that are outside... They somehow managed to get through all the crowds of bystanders to get to the entrance of Green Park Station. And when they get to a cop and they tell the cop that their two friends are downstairs, they are trapped in the in the station. They are 100% believed immediately and whisked off down there without so much of a second thought. And I thought, oh, that's a bit handy. I mean, you know, I used to commute sort of up to South London and things like that. And so I've been in my fair share of these situations where the station that you really need to get into is closed because of a someone's left their briefcase or there's a bomb threat or something like that. And the one thing I know for sure is they do not listen to reason from anybody, let alone some children. So, um, but anyway, the plot has to move. So there you go. And so they all get it explained and... Uh, it was also quite interesting because it's set around Westminster and the corridors of power, and that took me back a bit as well because I used to have a job where they used to let me into some of those buildings sometimes as well. And, uh, of course, John Paulshaw comes into his own. There's a scene where the two, the boy and the girl, they're in a room and there's some people, and one of them, he said, reminded me a bit of Mike Yarwood. And, <laughs> and Emily gets all excited because it's, Roy Jenkins, and I think, wow, a child getting excited about Roy Jenkins. <laughs> There's a good, good joke about the Prime Minister as well. Definitely. It's, it's, uh, it's Edward Heath. I don't know, it's, it's Harold Wilson's turn this month or something. Yeah. There, there was an awful lot of swapping between the two, I seem to remember, in the, in the early 70s. Yes, yes, there was indeed. And uh, 
yeah, so so that was pretty funny. That was uh, there were some good laughs there, and it's yeah, it un- unexpected. Again, given mm. the tone of all the rest of the stories, that was it was quite funny to get a little bit of politics in. Yes, yes, Emily knew knew all about politics. But, uh, yeah, so that was nice, but uh, the decision is that they have to send these two back into the tunnels to rescue their friends because Daleks are insisting, because they recognise them because they've seen them before. And there's also this really useful thing that the Daleks have, which they put into the little kitty's pocket, which is um, like a little flat card and you run your finger along it, and it reads out the message. And that is a pretty cool invention, mm-hmm. really. I mean, it's not as good as psychic paper, but uh, they, if they want to etch their ultimatum in, then... Um... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's like a touchscreen idea, whereas most science fiction still predicted sort of chunky keyboards and things, didn't it? Uh, you know, I think well, well into the future. So, so that was interesting. Yeah. I, I listened to it twice, and... I don't know who caused or what caused the explosion in the underground. I don't think the Daleks take responsibility for it. So was it actually a terrorist attack where the Daleks happened to be in a side tunnel waiting for some kids to find them? It doesn't seem a very efficient way of delivering an ultimatum to the government, does it? Uh, (laughs) Or did they cause the explosion in the hope that any survivors would go into the underground tunnel where they were waiting? I think they caused the explosion just to draw attention to themselves. But the fact that they managed to crash land their spaceship under um, the lake in St. James's Park without anybody noticing that (laughs) bit of a thing. Yeah, they want to decide whether this invasion is secret or not, really, don't they? (laughs) It's like a a mixed message going on there. Yeah, they, um, there was no... I suppose they wanted to keep the location of the ship secret, didn't they, in case the RAF bombed it? Um, yeah, but I mean, then how they're, effective that would have been, well, I don't know. Then they're like sort of half a kilometer away from uh, <laughs> the crash site. Yeah, but, uh, mm, I mean, it was it was quite well written the part where they're describing St James's Park and um, the children going into the water, and it's like picturesque description of some ducks being a bit startled by mm. the whole proceedings and. Um, and the airlock and things like that. It was all... Mm. But um, yes. The man likes an underwater Dalek, what can you say? Mm. It's quite a nice resolution as well. I mean, you could see it coming a mile off that uh, as soon as they say that the bombs will adhere to any metal and, <laughs> and the big Dalek And they're really, really tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a shame none of the army or anybody thought of that. Yeah. So, yeah, the kid seems remarkably unperturbed at having basically murdered four, four alive creatures at the end. Or is it more? I can't remember how many Daleks are on the ship. Brindigulum as a minimum. How many Brindigulums? Oh, about a thousand. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I would have imagined that would be more traumatic than it's it's portrayed as being. Mm. Well, yes. I mean, five years later, they've all got PTSD and they're all in their separate mental institutions. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they're plucky young kids who take it all in their stride and that is obviously what they want the readership to aspire to be. So, uh, 
<laughs> Merciless killers. Yes. Famous fives. <laughs> uh, and we got a character called Tarrant in there as well, uh, mm. which, is, uh, which is nice. Reminds you that it's uh, it's a proper Terry Nation story. But yeah, the, the odd stuff was kind of really rooting it in the real world as much as possible in terms of like the movies that are out, Wimpy, mm. the actual Prime Minister, um, but then making it a world where everybody's fully aware of Daleks. <laughs> yes. And uh, there's a scene where the helicopter's flying over the deserted London streets, and of course that would be quite unusual for the time, but... Uh, 2020, 2021, not quite so strange. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so um, a nice little story, a happy ending for the four kiddies who saved the world and who end up going for a slap-up tea at Downing Street and then another one at Buckingham Palace because a lot of people want to give them a very hearty thanks. and um, A lot of important people. Mm, and hopefully their parents won't be uh, quite too frantic when they get home. It's a, it was interesting having the kids in it because the, the, the Doctor Who at the time didn't really have kids in it. You know, it's like ostensibly a like a family program, but there weren't really. It was about grown ups and grown up things. So it's quite interesting having four kids. Mm. I say, quite, say quite interesting. It's not that interesting, but it's it's a definite change of pace from all the other stories in this collection. Mm. But there's usually at least one which includes the adventures of some schoolboys in each of these annuals that we've done so far, isn't it, Mark? Like the one we were talking about where they steal their uncle's time machine. and um, Yeah, and the one where they go to the uh, the, fire, the abandoned firing range and mm. there's, uh, there's grenades and stuff lying around. <laughs> and then... Uh, they, they they end up uh, yeah again they end up just murdering the Daleks with the grenades aren't they? Best use for them though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then next we have special report about Ulla Vax, um, as you said Denise, the only other female character in this. So a lot of the ADF stories have Reb Reb Chevron is she called? <laughs> I can't mm. remember the name. Um, who is like? Martin's girl. Yes, yeah, the Martian girl who is um, sort of Joel Shaw's other lieutenant as well as Mark Seven, uh, but she's not in any of these ones. Um, so yeah, there is there is a dearth of, uh, of female characters, and then this is a garbled report about a Dalek plan to throw a planet out of orbit, but we don't know which planet or how she came by the information because she was on a completely different mission on a completely different planet. So basically, there's another one of these stories that hints at a huge terrible and stoppable threat um, which which is never resolved or paid off and it's, it's not so much a story as a kind of an excerpt is it mm, yes <laughs> not so much a story as a bunch of words yeah <laughs> <laughs> well they spend a lot of time describing all of her stuff so yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a hybrid story stroke list so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the but best of both ways. It's a bit of a Norwegian name. I mean, she could. I'm sure there's an Ulavik somewhere around, but uh, mm. it's good. It's good that the ADF is uh, is multinational and uh, <laughs> doesn't just have Yorkshiremen in it. And, and <laughs> Yorkshiremen robots. And, um, yeah. Martian women. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a, a bit of filler, that really, wasn't it? Before we get The Seeds of Destruction from the 1978 annual, and this time read by st- the, uh, the Doctor interloper, Stephen Pacey. Stephen Pacey, yeah. Yeah, this is, um, this is another odd one, isn't it? It's, it's like Heart of Darkness. Have you read Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad book? Yes. Long time ago. Yeah, we st- it starts, it's like, it's like a weird structure. So it starts with a narrator who's talking to this guy, Marlowe, who tells you the story that's happened to him. So you've got, like, you think, well, why, what's the narrator's function there? You could just, be, you could just have Marlowe telling this story. And this, this is similar in that it's, the start of the story is somebody who then starts telling a story. Uh, so it is Joel... Joel Schumacher. Why can't I remember his name? <laughs> the ADF guy, Yorkshire guy, mm-hmm. uh, and he's meeting his, oh, what's he called? The, uh, the journalist mate, and he's got such a... The, what's his name? Del Kramer. Del Kramer, that's it, that's it. Lovely Terry Nation name. So, yeah, he's meeting his uh, journalist mate, and he's shocked because his journalist mate looks... Um, old and tired and terrified because he's seen the beginning of the end of the world or something. Uh, and then this journalist tells this story about um, oh, Dr. What's he called? It'll come to me. The famous scientist man. Lambray. Lambray. Very good. Not Lambrini. Not Lambray. Lambray. <laughs> yeah, this... Um, Doctor, scientist from decades ago, who uh, everyone has sort of forgotten about a little bit now, but he uh, had the idea to make stuff, plants grow like four times as fast as they ordinarily grow, so you can get four crops where you'd ordinarily just have got one. So he's going to make this special magic powder that makes plants grow super fast. But then it turns out that he's taken loads of money for it and not actually come up with the thing and disappears in disgrace. Uh, so this Dr. Lambre is now missing. And everyone thinks, oh, he must have, he must have fled the planet, has gone off in a rocket. But then, then, some years later, uh, when already forgotten his name, the journalist guy is checking through, he's tidying up his desk, and he, he comes across this detail that he'd not noticed before, um, that Lambre had this illness, uh, sort of a disorder of the lungs, that meant he would never have been able to go into a pressurized spaceship. So he must still be on Earth. So the journalist now starts looking for him, traces him across. <laughs> this is the story that has um, Second San Francisco in it, doesn't it? In all these futurist, futuristic places. I'm not sure Second San Francisco is a terribly good name for Earth. A city, but yeah, he's basically trying to trying to track this journalist down. Eventually, uh, it doesn't do any detective work. He just find, seems to find things out by accident. Ends up uh, on a schooner with a Dutch guy uh, heading off to like the island of Doctor Moreau because he's worked out that that's where Lambre is on this tiny little island that's so small it's not even on the maps. Uh, so him and this Dutch guy are sailing off to see Lambre. When they get to the island, it's chaos, and there's also no Daleks in it yet. Um, mm. 
is, which is slightly weird. The Daleks do feel a bit shoehorned into this. It turns out that Lambrey has been quite successful with his powder, so all the animals and plants on the island have gone mad. It's like, it's like Dr. Moreau or Food of the Gods or something like that. Uh, so that's terribly exciting and terribly dangerous. And then it turns out that Lambrey somehow got the Daleks involved. Can't remember quite how or why. And every, everybody dies. Everybody <laughs> dies messily and horribly and not quite quickly enough. Um, and that's the end of the story, except, oh no, because the special powder that the uh, Lambre had invented that makes everything grow su super big and super fast was not on his body. Uh, searching, searching for it. Yeah, so maybe the Daleks have got it. Oh, no, the Daleks have to make Maybe the, uh, your dreams will come true, Mark, and there will yeah. be a big Dalek. Big Dalek. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that this is another one of your unresolved stories, isn't it? There's like a terrible threat out there. The Daleks have presumably got it. Um, everyone's now worried that the world will be taken over by giant plants and animals. The end. That's And that's it. It's another, it's another weird one. It's another... Just one thing happens after another. There's no logical connection between any of the things. It's just a guy's in a place, then he's in another place, then he's in another place, then he finds a thing out by accident, then he remembers a thing that he'd forgotten before. And it's um, it's not really, it's not how you tell stories, but it is in its way quite lovable. Yeah, I do think. I mean, it's similar with the Castaway story as well, where you have these one-person-driven narratives. And they can be written in a way that makes them quite engrossing, I think, um, because it's one person's perspective and it's one person being driven to do a certain thing. And I can, I don't really understand why it's a kind of writing that's aimed at children, but it, it sort of works. It's got its, um, it's got its charms, but when you, like you say, the plots and the decisions made by the characters and the sequence of events, they don't always make as much sense as you would like. Yeah, I, it, it is, um, I mean, it is a fundamentally pleasing idea uh, that you get, you know, sort of out-of-control growth. I mean, it doesn't really work scientifically because you can't scale animals up like that. They just pull themselves apart. But there was, um, that, you know, there's a tradition of it. There was a guy called Bert I. Gordon, and I never know if this is his real name or if he chose it because the initials spell out big. <laughs> I'm, pr I'm pretty sure he did the film of Food of the Gods, and I, he may have done Empire of the Ants as well. It was his thing. He liked he liked big animals, and I, that it is quite appealing. You know, I can see how that would have worked. A bit difficult on a telly budget, though. Mm, especially with the effects that would have been available at the time. I mean, now they could do it, but uh, mm. I mean, people yeah. do understand now that surface area to volume ratio is a bit of an issue when it comes to animals, birds, insects particularly. So it's like in arachnids in the UK, the spiders couldn't survive because they were too big, so they couldn't breathe. Mm. Yeah. I suppose he was trying to make this with American TV, and uh, they did uh, Land of the Giants and things like that, weren't they, I suppose? Um, oh, yeah. They might have tried to do a lot of, a lot of CSO uh, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> Land of the Giants was a very baffling programme. And it was, uh, it was hard to work out sort of where where they were. I mean, I seem to remember the setup was they were on like a super-duper stratospheric plane 
and then they end up on this other planet that's a planet of giants, but it's exactly like Earth. It's like, but I, I don't know. Didn't didn't understand the premise of that one. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. These things I, I watched when I was quite young. Sunday mornings would be um, Land of the Giants or Time Tunnel or Time Lost Tunnel. in Space. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to absolutely laugh them up when I was a kid, but I, I can't remember that much detail. That I didn't realize it was another planet. I thought they'd just shrunk. Um, because, oh, yeah, no. it, was, it was almost exactly just like they were in everyday America, wasn't it? Yeah, where everyone speaks English. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, yeah. Mm. Well, I, I may be misremembering it, Mark, but I, I thought the whole dealie of the first episode was that they got in this sort of not quite spaceship, not quite aeroplane, and then ended up disastrously on this planet. Ah, uh, right. I, I just, I, I was so young when I watched it, I can I, I know. Remember. Those were the days where you didn't really have to bother about things, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's definitely, and, and not just in the Dalek annuals, but the Doctor Who annuals, there is a massive um, preoccupation with giant versions of insects and plants. Uh, they crop up many, many times throughout, the, uh, throughout these annuals. There's two different stories where the first Doctor uh, spends the night sleeping in a giant cabbage for shelter. That's right. <laughs> I remember and they put them, when they did the CDs, they put them both stories on the same CD as though, yeah. to, uh, as though to draw attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> it starts off with some clever detective work of how they know the guy's still on Earth. And then it's just a forced landing on an island and uh, <laughs> that he's purely by chance. It's not very clever detective work. I mean, he, he finds a thing when he's cleaning out his desk that basically he should have noticed the first time round anyway. <laughs> Which is this clue about how he's got what the illness is called, like a Dalek name, but now it's gone. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I found sometimes, God bless Terry Nation, he's a brilliant guy. Absolutely love uh, his Doctor Who contributions. I adore Survivors. I think Blake Seven is magnificent. But it's it not always that like a master of detail. So, you know, the detective work tends to be, oh, and then I remembered a thing, and then I found a thing. And I think some of the stories, they get, oh, and then there was a fight, and we won. You know, it's like... (laughs) I'm watching um, black and white saint episodes at the moment. We're sort of doing one of those every evening, and a lot of those are written by Terry Nation as well. Ah, Brilliant. The one we watched tonight had a bonus Nicholas Courtney in it, playing a policeman. Oh, very Yeah. So, um, yeah, but a lot of it is the same, of course. You know, the saint isn't going to fail, as the ADF isn't going to fail, so you know that it's, uh, it's going to look a bit dodgy. And some of the plots are quite convoluted, you know. But, um, yeah, you know the saint is going to prevail at the end of the day and come out with the moral authority as well. But, um... mm. Yeah, I went through a spell of reading the Leslie Charteris books they're very variable because you know he wrote them over quite a long period of time. The saint is a much more ambiguous character in the books. Mm. Uh, it's still quite sort of heroic and dashing, but there is a sort of slightly dark edge to him as well. They're good. They're good. Yeah, I mean we've we I think we're on disc thirteen or something of the black and white ones. 
I've got all the colour ones as well to watch after that. So it's going to be some time. But, I mean, the early episodes, he stopped talking about punishing the ungodly and he doesn't take women across his knee and spank them anymore. Mm-hmm. I guess he's evolving, but he's still a bit... Um, he wouldn't really do very well with a modern woman, I don't think. No, I'm trying to remember that, because they did the Return of the Saint, the Ian Ogle yes. thing. Like mm, I used to watch those, yeah. Ter- terrific theme music, but I can't recollect any details of the programme at all. It just seems it's that kind of era of sort of fairly bland things. Mm. He would encounter yeah. a woman who was worried about stuff. He would make her life a bit better, and then he would go away. Much like The Incredible Hulk, really. yeah. There's a crossover I want to see now. Sorry about that. Something I tweeted about yesterday or the day before. Um, I've been watching this uh, Ridley Scott series, uh, Raised by Wolves. Oh, yeah. I've heard very mixed reports. Is it good? Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but one of the things that struck me is, is visually, it, it is quite like something from the era of these annuals. So in the first episode, the uh, the two androids arrive on the planet and they're wearing those sort of long skull cap things, which uh, Corby seems to be wearing in the... Um, I'll, I'll tweet some pictures when I put this uh, this podcast out of, um, of uh, Ral Shannon looking like a young war doctor and, uh, mm. and, and Corby with his sort of uh, skull cap type thing. And there's a blockade, which is a story we talked about another time, uh, Denise, the pictures from that, it's got that sort of, and I think you see it's sort of old science fiction things, um, it mm. also looks sort of uh, a bit futuristic if somebody's wearing a skull cap. Um, yeah, and there the, are beautiful pure lines, um, I've only watched the first episode of Raised by Wolves, I don't mm. think it was too impressed by it, but we didn't take it any further, but we were talking about it with Colin last time, weren't we? And That's right. uh, he absolutely loved it. He he sort of binge watched the whole thing already, I think. But um, yeah, I it sort of tentatively. Should I get an evening where I've got the house to myself again? When's that ever going to happen? You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I will watch a few more episodes. But, I uh, think it's worth watching. There's some there's some really interesting. Uh, I mean, ideas beautiful and... science fiction, and mm. you know, I, I just sort of lose myself in that anyway the imagery even if the even if the stories aren't necessarily what i want them to be then you know just a feast for the eyes a lot of the time it is visually is is stunning and it yeah it does seem to hark back to another age of science fiction Mm. um and it's a bit of a slow burn and then (laughs) just so much happens in the last episode um like absolutely loads um well, the first episode wasn't exactly a yawn fest, was it? No, <laughs> no, it sets up the uh, yeah, it sets up the the, the world quite well. Um, but no, mm. it's, it's it's very interesting. I'd, I'd like I'd like to see a second series, see where it goes next. Mm. I'm rewatching um, his Dark Materials at the moment. Mm-hmm, nice. I'd watch the first season again. Watch the second. Mm. And, uh, very much enjoying that. I think. Um, it, yes. Not every not every series benefits from a second watch, but this one definitely does. I, I haven't seen the second series yet, um, but I did. I very much enjoyed the first series. I said, like, it's just just took the taste of the golden compass away. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I think I tried to watch that, but that was pitched more as a children's kind of a thing, wasn't it? So uh, yeah. I, 
act of like Harry Potter and stuff. They were trying to pitch it more towards that audience, maybe. Whereas his Dark Materials is brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. children, but brutal, terrible things happen to them. Yeah, it did. The movie stripped away a lot of the sort of anti-religious stuff that that's in the books as well, didn't it? And uh... yeah, uh, it was a shame. It was. Um, uh, I remember Philip Pullman very bravely talking the film up. Um, and then sort of watching it and going, oh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well done for taking the money, but, you know, it's not very good. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I got the, um, the Steelbook of the first series for Christmas. Absolutely beautiful. So I'm, I'm due a rewatch of that. Um, yeah, I absolutely love it. Mm. Yes, we finally got ourselves a decent sound bar for the TV as well and a 4K DVD player. Stroke. Mm. Very so. fancy. Yeah, it's completely nice. wasted since I'm mainly watching, you know, 1970s Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's there. One day a movie will be made that we will actually want to watch on DVD that will be a quality worthy of the system that we have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't have a 4K set up because um, I'm not convinced my eyes can actually resolve that level of detail anymore, <laughs> if I'm absolutely honest. But I, I remember when I got my first... I first got my HD TV and I was watching a Blu-ray on it and had a friend round who said, what? how is that sharper than real life? And I thought, oh, it is. I don't, I don't quite know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> the image on your telly is, is sharper than real life. How's that possible? Hmm. That's a mm. very good question. Yeah. And how would you know if it was? Well, because you can see real life out the window next to where my telly is. But that's all a factor of how good your eyesight is. Uh, it's um i mean your eyesight's not going to get any better because you're watching the best tv in the world it's like true true mm. i mean we were thinking about getting a 3d tv but i think uh then we thought it would be so unfair on the cat you know because she'd have to have like 3d glasses (laughs) i i I am quite a big fan of my three i've got a 3d tv and I i think you know Blu-ray players just tend to be able to do 3D by default these days. Um, so I've got, yeah, I've got you know a fair old handful of 3D films. No, not all of them brilliant, but so, some of them just absolutely awesome. I mean, things like uh, Hugo and the the Spielberg Adventures of Tintin, Tron Legacy, and stuff. Stuff that if you watch it flat is not that great. Uh, watching 3D and you go, all right, yeah, that's the point of that. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's, I don't know. People do, people still do 3D films. Do I mean? Does anyone remember actually going to the cinema? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. I think the only movie that's been on in Oslo in like the last six months, apart from this Norwegian, there's this Norwegian film franchise which is basically about an animated twig, and they keep, <laughs> they keep making films about for some reason just don't even ask and Tenet those are like the two types of films that you've been able to see in Oslo this year and we saw Tenet you know once was enough but um, another movie at the cinema you know I will fork out the extra kroner to pay the to pay for the 3D but um, during the brief glorious period where the cinemas were open again I got to see three films uh during the summer, so I, I saw Tenet, and I saw Bill and Ted, 
and I saw this thing called Saint. Oh God, I can never remember her name. Saint Maud. Saint Maud, which is absolutely spectacular. Well, I mean, it's not. It's quite um, low key, but it's just really unsettling. Yeah, and then that was the end of that. Then, and now I can't even go and see Wonder Woman 1984 at the cinema. Hmm. And James Bond's been put back again. Yeah, mm. October. Mm. Yes, but there's some really good stuff on telly. I mean, have you seen Lupin? No, no, but I heard about it. Yeah, it is really, really good. I mean, yeah. if missing your James Bondy and your sort of crime heist movies and things like that, that's a really, really excellent series. Really enjoyed that a lot. Lupin, L-U-P-I-N. Like Lupin, only French. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Look out for that one. I haven't heard of that. Mm. Very good. I mean, do you want one division? If uh, any yeah. Marvel um, fans, I'm, uh, what? What's that uh, It's on Disney Plus. Uh, so uh, it's um, yeah. it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, sort of spin-off with uh, with a couple of characters from the movies. I mean, I, I, I was very very underwhelmed by the first two. Um, borderline irritated I would say but then the third one just got incredibly good right at the end so yeah I, I'm, I'm excited now I've quite enjoyed them uh, all the way through so uh, yeah hopefully it'll uh, just keep just keep getting better and better we we don't have Disney Plus but I'm thinking that I might have to because uh, I mean we've kind of exhausted a lot of what's on Netflix and HBO and we don't have yeah. Amazon Prime because the choice of Amazon Prime in Norway is really limited because, you know, every country has different rights. Mm. So you get the same breadth of choice on Amazon Prime in Norway as you do here in the UK, for example. So um, I, th I think Disney Plus is about to get a whole new load of content on it. It's mostly kind of kids stuff at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think they're just about to load it up with, I can't remember what archive it is they've got. But it looks like there's going to be quite a lot of choice all of a sudden from March. Yeah, I saw that. But and for me, the the Star Wars TV shows, um, like I love the Mandalorian, um, yeah, the the Marvel TV shows and stuff. Uh, it's gonna be uh, for me anyway. It's gonna be worth it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if um, if we watch all of that stuff and then we don't want it anymore, then we don't have to have it. There's no, uh, you're not sort of tied in for the rest of your life, are you? Yeah. No, just no. cancel it anytime. Mm. That's it. Uh, so we need something to to fill the long wait until Doctor Who's back on our screens. But yes. thankfully is actually going to be this year, it seems. Uh, they're filming Yay. at the moment. Uh, so we're going to get eight episodes um, with the new companion. And seems mm. uh, seems like a lot of returning monsters as well, if the, uh, the rumours are to be believed. Yes, I, I saw some stuff getting spoiled all over Twitter mm. recently. I kind of... I haven't seen anything like that. I know, I mean, obviously I know John Bishop is there, but when I first saw him, I thought, because obviously he's a bit older and his hair's not quite as dark as it was, I thought it was Willem Dafoe at first. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to change the show a bit, but uh, I was disappointed. <laughs> I think it's true at the moment, because the secret has been pretty good in this era, but I imagine they're having to film outdoors due to the restrictions. Um, so they they don't have you know they don't have the level of security that they would probably uh, like 
to be mm. in place? Yes, well, I'm, I mean, I'm quite lucky. I managed to stay spoiler-free quite a lot of the time, really. And um, and obviously following the right people. That's what it yeah. was. And um, that is fine with me. Um, I'm always happy to be surprised by what my favourite show is going to offer me next time. Definitely, definitely. And it's not like any storylines are, uh, are getting leaked or anything like that. So, uh... No, they're, they're usually very, very good at that. I mean, mm. I, I didn't have the first inkling that John Bishop was going to be joining until we got to the reveal at, at the end of um, the New Year one mm. revelation, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was good. Kept a complete lid on that, which is very impressive. Very good. That was brilliant, guys. Thank you very, very much for joining me. Discuss this collection. Thanks Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> My first time ever podcasting with John and actually speaking to him in real life. So, hi, John. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Gosh, that hadn't even occurred to me. Uh, I, right, thought, yeah. I thought we'd, we'd done that before. No, I've... Oh. Um, I've podcasted with Lawrence before, but not with John, so... Ah, right. Oh, excellent. Good. Mm. Well, that's um, a big part of the pleasure in this is you sort of putting different combinations of people together and uh, and having these conversations, so... Uh, and you do it very well, Mark. Oh. You do, yeah. Yeah, yeah you've uh, got quite a collection of random people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the Avengers. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you can just, just put a, a team together for, uh, for whatever the situation demands, yeah. Cool. <laughs> well thank you very much uh, thank you for listening at home and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye, goodbye.